this spring has been awesome to have the sun come out and be warm and to be basking in the sun. Has anybody been basking in the sun? Anytime you find that little patch of light, I find myself just lingering a little bit. I find myself um, wanting also to, when I need to read, go find a patch of light instead of the heater where I was just only like a month ago, it seems. Um, Just basking in the warmth is just so... It also makes you think, like, why, why do we love it so much? And then you see cats. They do the same thing. Dogs do the same thing. <laughs> why, why do creatures love and gravitate toward that gentle warmth of the sun? And then I was thinking in the sun, why bread? And why the grape, whether it be wine or juice? And why do these things come in my mind at the same time? (laughs) Believe it or not, I think that there are some reasons uh, that these things go together. So why light? Why bread? Why the cup? Why are these what Christ has given us? And why do we love the light so much? What we're going to see tonight is that the... The bread and the cup are symbols of God's presence. They're symbols of his presence. And this is how they've always been viewed from the, in, the peop, in the lives of the people of God. I mean, back to Israel. And were viewed by Jesus and his disciples and continue to be viewed this way by us, his multiple generations later of disciples. Um, so communion, what we'll see is communion is a beholding and a basking in the love of God. It is a beholding as a symbol of his presence, but it's also a basking, a bringing on that warmth and that light of the presence of God. Now, here's how the scriptures put it. I'm trying to just really consolidate and summarize it. Here's how we see it in the Bible. So, um, first and foremost The reason that Jesus takes bread at the Last Supper and the cup of wine and tells the disciples to do this in remembrance of him is because the priests in the tabernacle were doing this for thousands of years before Jesus. Thousand, I guess, not thousands, but a thousand years before Jesus. Um, In Exodus 25, right when Jesus, uh, right when God says, go and make me a tabernacle that I may dwell in their midst, uh, it is right after 24 where they, God was dwelling on Sinai. Now he wants to dwell from Sinai with his people. So the tabernacle, what it is, is it's really a miniature mountain meant to bring the presence of God from this mountain to this mountain so he can be among them. And the first thing he tells them to build is the Ark of the Covenant. Right after that is the table of showbread or also known as the table of the presence. Um, we'll talk about the translation there in a second. Um, but unbeknownst to me is if you finish that paragraph, uh, right at the end of the description of the table of showbread, it talks about cups and flagons or pitchers. And it doesn't say what was in those cups and pitchers, but, um, it was very well known that in ancient times, one of the drink offerings people gave to God was wine. So, I never knew that the wine was actually kept on the same table with the table of showbread. So from the beginning, right there in the presence of God in the temple was 
the bread, and the wine. So this is not a foreign concept at all when Jesus brings it to the disciples. Now, in, in Leviticus 24, we see some further instructions about the table showbread. So in Exodus, we see them making it because God wants to have the tabernacle so he can come fill it. The cloud that was on the mountain becomes the cloud in the tabernacle. And um, uh, Leviticus then goes into how to use these things in an act of worship. So Exodus, they build it. Leviticus, this is how we use it as worship. And so this is what we see about, again, the table of showbread. Um, in Leviticus 24, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp. We're talking about the lampstand, the candles, uh, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. Okay, so before we get to the table of showbread, we're talking about the lampstand. So there were three items inside the tabernacle inside the temple. Outside was the altar where people brought their lambs and animals and bulls and made offerings. Um, that's where the people and the priests did their work. But inside, the priests had their own work, and there were three objects. So on this side, as you come in, it would be on your left. You would have the lamp stand, uh, represented by our candles, by the way. Um, and then in the middle, you would have the altar of incense, which is where they would offer pr uh, prayers for the people and put incense on it, and it would go up. Um, the, the incense was meant to enact the cloud that uh, always came when God's presence showed up because you can't see God, the uncreated light, without dying, right? You can't, like, see his face and not live. So there was always a cloud that he came in to blockade this fire of his presence. Uh, so the incense was always lifted up to be like that cloud to... Uh, protect the people from gazing on his face. And then on your right-hand side as you come in would be the table of the bread. And as we now know, there's the bread and the wine there on the table. So we're given instructions about the lamps, and then we're going to be given instructions about the bread. So in verse 5, you shall take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. 12 because these are for the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. So notice he also gives a measurement um, because what happens is if we don't have a standard, we tend to over time get lazy and shorten the standard. So in order to prevent them from offering God less and less bread every time, there is a this much, so that they would always keep themselves accountable. If there's no measurement, there's no accountability. It's going to be whatever I feel like. And they're going to sometimes feel like, I don't really feel like needing a big, massive loaf. I feel like making a smaller thing. <laughs> so there's a measurement. There's a rule. There's a requirement here to keep them accountable. And they put it on the table. Now in verse 7, you shall put pure frankincense on each pile. So two piles of six, okay? There is frankincense on each pile. 
So it's believed that the frankincense would be then taken off of the loaves and put on the altar of incense, and that's representing the prayers of the people before God and them rising up to him. Um, so it doesn't tell us that, but that's the assumption because it never tells us what happens with these frankincense. Um, so you should put on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. That word memorial, when the Jews translated this to the Greek, is the same word that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this as a memorial of me. Um, so a memorial is when you recall, yes, something, but more than that, you recall it in order to re-enter it and re-engage in it. So that's what a memorial is. It's bringing it to the present. So if you're to do this as a memorial, you're to go back to a moment and it's now present. In, it's a present reality. We'll see what reality that is in a second. Um, a portion and a food offering to the Lord. Notice that the bread and the wine, assuming the wine goes with it, but the bread is considered an offering. Uh, verse 8, every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. So you would, they would on Sunday, uh, I'm sorry, on the Sabbath, they would, um, they would make the bread and bake the bread and then they would put it on the table as an offering. And then they would take the old bread and eat the bread and drink the wine, presumably, right there in the tabernacle. So this was every Sabbath. The new would come in, then you would eat the old loaves, okay? Um, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. So this is to remind them of the covenant. Um, always a reminder that God made a covenant with them. So Aaron, it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. That means the bread must always be before the Lord. And every week there to eat the bread and to presumably, if there's cups of wine or some liquid there, they're supposed to presumably drink it and offer it to him as well. So uh, we see a couple of really interesting things here. First, that the bread is to be offered to the Lord. It's considered an offering. So they would make it from the grains of the earth, which God gave them, they would bring this together, the creation, and they would make something of it. God told us to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion and subdue it. And here they are, uh, and also in chapter 2, verse 15, Genesis, to cultivate the garden. Uh, they are, we're, we're making something, and then they put it before the Lord as an offering to him. Um, what we know from the Mishnas and the Talmuds, um, which are Jewish commentaries on scripture, uh, is that um, actually they say that the bread was made with four horns on it in order to mimic the altars that they used. Uh, if you read about the altars, both the incense altar and the animal offering altar had four horns on the corners of it. Now, um, that's really interesting that they put the four uh, horns on the bread because it meant that they saw this as an offering. They they mimicked an altar on the top of it. Um now, what I found really interesting um, is that when I started baking bread, I realized that when you score bread, scoring is when you cut a line in it to help relieve its, its rising when it's in the oven. Um, I, 
uh, I read, I just followed a recipe the first time, like, like straight up. And they said, a simple X is nice. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll start simple, do a little X. And then I, t- I turned that little X, I'm like, oh, that's a cross. <laughs> and, but what I also noticed is that, um, once learning that they actually put four horns on the bread is when you score your loaf in a cross, it actually, it didn't come out quite as clean this time, but you'll see it actually comes out with four points on the bread. And I thought, that's really fascinating. Like, if the if the Israelites are offering to God bread with four horns on it, how did they get the four horns? Were they just, like, like wiggling the dough and kind of manipulating it? Or, or were they scoring the loaf in the shape of a cross? Either way, it's, it's I mean, that's a really interesting concept. Like, just scoring it, too. It's, it's symbolizing that the body of Christ is going to be scored. It's going to be slashed. But then it's maybe that's how they got the four horns. I don't know, but that's really that's really something. Um, and then um, so we see that it's offered and it's eaten. It's eaten. So we saw also the Passover. They ate um, here. This is eaten. And then um, the whole memorial part we saw in verse the end of seven that it's a memorial portion as a food offering to the Lord. And then. Um, we saw at the end of verse 8, it is um, a covenant forever. And so the idea is that this bread is to remind them that God made a covenant with them. As long as the bread was offered before God, the people were mindful before him, right? And uh, then he was in the minds of the people. There was a presence. There was a communion. That's why the loaves are to be there as a perpetual due. So the loaves reminded them of the covenant that God made at Mount Sinai. Now, remember how the covenant was made. We looked at this, uh, the first message. It was made in chapter 24 with two steps. They sealed it with blood. An animal was killed. The blood was thrown on the altar and on the people so that God and people were made with one blood. They were now family. So the blood of the sacrifice became God's and the people's. And then after that, Moses... And um, some of his leaders were invited to go up to the mountain and share a meal with God. In Exodus 24, verse 9, it says that they went up and they saw his feet and there they ate and they drank. So the covenant was was consummated with the eating. So the covenant was sealed with the blood. God and the people became one through the blood. But then they entered into this covenant by eating with God. And so the bread of the presence was likely meant to be that reminder of that meal. So that every time we put the bread before God, he remembers his covenant with us and we remember his covenant with him. And then when the priests eat the bread, this is the memorial part. They are going back to that moment on Mount Sinai. It's just now here in the temple. They are eating with God. It is a reenactment of that feast that they had at the beginning. Um, and then we see, the reason we started in verse 1 with the lampstand is because this is also playing an important part in this whole scene. So you notice that God had Moses and Aaron pay particular attention to how the light on the lamps were shining. Um, first of all, you know, they say bring oil 
so that the lamps may be kept. And it tells them evening and morning. So every evening before they go to bed, they would make sure that the lamps had oil so that the flame would never go out on the, on the lampstand. And in the morning, you replenish. So about every 12 hours, it's being replenished. This, by the way, has become patterns for Christians uh, for evening and morning prayer. Is that every evening, we want to be renewed with the oil of God's Spirit. And every morning, we need to be renewed with the oil of the Spirit to keep the flame going. And I think that you and I know that when we only allow our light to be lit every Sunday, um, it doesn't it doesn't burn through the whole week it's like it goes out and then somewhere in the middle of the week you're like i don't really you have realized i haven't really been praying i haven't really been seeking god and then church is like it's kind of a it's like a hurdle it's like i gotta get myself ready i gotta like i got i hope the music's good this week and i hope that the people don't pray too long because it's my least favorite part or something like you're just like in this mindset right because why your lampstand has gone out it requires a constant and continual drip of oil to keep the light burning, which is what daily prayers and why historically Christians have taught a minimum of evening and morning prayer to keep the light shining. And as you do that, you find that prayer is not hard to enter into because it's ongoing. So if you keep throwing logs on the fire when you're trying to keep warm in the winter, it's a lot easier than having to start that fire over every time, isn't it? And that's the idea. Um, so we have here this pattern of daily worship and then weekly worship with the bread. So there we have that picture even in the temple. But now they're to keep it burning. Um, but in verse 4, he shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. Now, it doesn't say this explicitly, but what I was reading is that there's only one reason for this. Um, they were Aaron was to make sure that the lamps were shining forward. Now, that probably means that they weren't just like like this, like wicks with just light that's kind of, uh, what's it, it was 360 radiating light, uh, that they might have had that little cusp um, in, you might have seen it on old stages when they have the little candles, but they have the little like half cup dome behind them to, sh- to aim the light forward. And that's what the lamp would have had. And what Aaron is supposed to do is not only replenish the oil, but make sure that the light is shining in the appropriate place, not just random and chaotic. It's, it's focused on something. And so um, what this could only mean is one of two things. Either the lampstand, so let's say you come in to the temple, the lampstand is facing this way where you see all seven branches and it's shining towards the entrance, which serves some purpose maybe, or it's that the lampstand was facing this way and that the light was meant to shine that was forward for the lamp. And that, to most scholars, seems to make the most sense because what did they need to see in the tabernacle were... It was the bread and the altar of incense. So Aaron was told, make sure the lampstand is shining on the bread continually. The bread's always there. The light's always there. And it was on the Sabbath that they entered into this by eating. So what this meant was that the Sabbath was, uh, this light shining on the bread was a picture of what the Sabbath was, what worship is for the people of God. It's us basking in the light of God's presence. And that was a continual image in the temple. 
Isn't that something? So they go up Mount Sinai at the covenant and they see the God of Israel and they eat. And the temple, it's continually before him. The light, they're basking in the light of God. Ah, that's so cool. Okay. Now, um, let me see here. Okay, it doesn't actually say um, the table of showbread here, but we know from Exodus 25 that it's called the table of showbread, or the ESV just call, translates it the table of presence. Um, now, it's important for us to know like what that actually is saying. The table, uh, it, it's the Hebrew word panim, the table of panim. Panim. Panim means... Quite literally, face, it's often translated presence because to be in the face of someone is to be in their presence. So it's really literally the, the bread of the, the panim, the bread of the face of God. It's the bread of the presence, which is why some translations call it the presence. Um, so it's the reminder that Israel and God are facing each other through the light and the bread. And there God's face is on them. And you, this might recall to you the um, the benediction that the priests would give the people and that we do every week. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face, panim, make his panim shine upon you. And that was a recalling for the people what is happening in the tabernacle that God is literally shining on the people. And so it, that's why it's called the, the bread of the panim, the bread of the face. Now, what's really cool is that if you go to Deuteronomy 16, um, or you can just hear about it, it's, uh, but Deuteronomy 16, 16, God there commands this. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear panim. That word before is panim. They shall panim the Lord your God at the place that he will choose. So eventually that's Jerusalem where the temple will be built. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover. At the Feast of Weeks, and uh, that's Pentecost. And the Feast of Booths. So for the Christian, Passover is Easter. Pentecost is the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is in a couple weeks. And uh, the Feast of Booths is the return of Christ when we all dwell with him in his presence. Um, they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So we see a command that three times a year they're to come to the temple and make face before the face of God. They were to have a face-to-face -face with him. So there was a command there. And the word panim is there. So one of the things that ended up happening over time, and we know this from the Jewish writings. And this is something that I just blew my mind. It's hard to believe except that it's actually documented. Because if someone just said this, I'd be like, you're making this up. But in order to fulfill Israel seeing the panim of God as they come, they, you're to come and make face with me. Well, how do they do that if they're not allowed in the temple? The priests would actually go out of their way to make the people have access to the panim of God. How do they do that? The bread of the panim, the bread of the face. So, the Jewish writings say, and I can show you this if you want in writing, but um, the priests would actually take the table out three times a year, these feasts. They would bring the table out of the temple, 
and they would parade it around the courts for all the people to see, to look upon the bread. Mm-hmm. And there they would say, this is the part I couldn't believe. That kind of makes sense, that they would actually break protocol. Maybe it was kind of cool. Why would they do it the bread instead of the lampstand? Because this was representing the people and also the face of God. It was this like, it was what is basking in the light. And so then when they take it out, though, they would say, behold, the love of God for you. This is God's love for you. So the people would see the bread and remember his love. Why? Because the bread is a memorial of the covenant he made with them. He's not going to break it so long as they keep the bread before him. It's a memorial. It's his love. So here we see the bread is basking in the light of God and in the presence of God. And it's shown to the people as an example of his love for them. Okay. So with all that in mind, when Jesus comes and takes bread and the wine and says, do this as a memorial of me, the the disciples know what he's doing. They know this stuff. This is stuff that we just, in our 2,000 years later of Americanization and all the different things we have going on, we miss this. That he is actually declaring the presence of God in their midst with the bread and the wine. How can they do this? Because Jesus identified himself as the temple. I'm the temple. So this is the table, or this is the table of showbread. It's the bread of the presence. This is the panim. And you are the priests who get to eat of it. And when Jesus said that he was a temple, it's in Matthew 12, he tells the Pharisees, something greater than the temple is here. Why did he say that? Because the Pharisees were upset that the disciples were eating grain on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, the priests eat bread on the Sabbath day in the temple. And I, something greater than the temple is here, so let my priests who are eating in my presence off the hook. They're doing what they're supposed to do. We're reconstituting a new temple and a new priesthood. And so when Jesus has them at that last supper, it's not just a table. In fact, the, the Greek is the same word in the, in, the, in the descriptions here and in the last supper. It's the same Greek word describing the table. So the, the word connects, it checks out, as Chase would say, that checks out. Um, it's, the same, it's the same word. They are at the new table of presence, eating a memorial. What memorial? They are re-entering and re-experiencing the presence of God in the tabernacle. So, so rewind with me. God invites the leaders of Israel to eat with him on the mountain. I'm sorry, I'm boring. <laughs> he then extends this for them in the tabernacle and in the temple. They continue to eat with him. That same meal is memorialized in their eating on that table. And now that meal is now extended to the church through Christ telling his disciples to eat it. This is a memorial of the picture of God's light and glory basking upon his people, them receiving and enjoying that in this communion. And so now he extends this to the church so that when the disciples are eating this last supper, they are re-entering and re-participating in that moment in the temple. And then when the church continues to do this, do you see how this goes? We are entering 
entering a memorial. We're eating a memorial where we are re-entering and re-participating in that meal that Jesus had with his disciples that was re uh, playing the meal the priests had in the temple, which was replaying the meal the leaders had of with God on Sinai. That's what the church is doing as they eat the bread and drink the cup. Of course, you can do this in an unworthy manner, and it means none of that. But to the Christian who understands that God is doing something when he's given us bread and cup, and that when we partake, we are not just partaking of a fragment of a meal, but we are actually re-entering and re-participating in a larger world. We have to remember that to God who's outside of time, it can literally be the case for him that we are eating the same way Moses did, the priests did, the disciples did in the presence of God. That when we eat the bread and drink the cup, we are not merely on earth because as a memorial, if it's taken as such, that we are re-entering something bigger. That's what the tabernacle That's what the temple was, was the one place where heaven and earth were able to mesh. That's why the priests were given so many rules, was so that they did God's will on earth as it's done in heaven. So that heaven and earth can be mixed there in the worship of the temple. Which then gets extended to God's people. Because it is the church now that's praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is why um, in the midst of a culture, not to get too far ahead of myself, because we'll probably be looking at this next week, but in the midst of a culture that kind of is downplaying the importance of gathered worship, uh, that the church is just who we are, so we can do that kind of however and wherever. In light of that, it seems very clear that Jesus had a real vision for the church continuing much of the Jewish um, formalities, only they are now redone in Christ and they're refocused in Christ. And they look a little bit different, of course, but that some of these laws still remain. He still wants bread before him. He still wants his people eating with him. They still That picture of us basking in his light is still a reality. He still wants us keeping a type of Sabbath and worshiping him and Offering him offerings like they did in the temple. We've seen, and I've I've alluded to this very smallly, but the New Testament shows it's our thanksgiving and praise that's an offering now. We don't bring animals. We bring our hearts and our lives and we offer them up. We bring the bread and the cup and we offer them up. These are the offerings. Now, people kind of get psyched out by that because we hear that the Catholic Church... uh, I don't remember how we got to this, but I think we believe that they are re-sacrificing Christ every time because they say that the bread and the cup is actually his body and his blood, so we have to, like, re-sacrifice him. Um, I don't know if they actually believe that or not, or if that's sort of a Protestant myth. I'm not sure. I really have no idea. But um, it is true that we are making an offering, not Christ. He's been slain once. But we take what he's given us and we offer it to him. And that's how it becomes a memorial. That's how it becomes more than just bread and cup is that, okay, yeah, it's still bread. It's not, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't know that it really becomes flesh. I don't think that's my view, but there is something there because it's been offered. 
And he is using this as that portal, that Narnian wardrobe. I don't know how else to say it. It's that connection where there's a, there is the other world is connecting here and we are invited into it. So when we gather and worship, we are literally doing what we've modeled. We've just modeled the temple here, like, right? What they have when they walk in the lampstand. We don't, we don't have a altar of incense, but that's what we do. We lift our prayers up. We are that altar of incense and we have the bread in the cup. And, um, everything that we do is this. It's the light shining on the bread. We're basking in his presence. We're communing with him. We're entering into this world. And so when we come in and we say, as we gather, why are we gathering? Because of this. Um, as we say, blessed is the kingdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Why are we saying that? Because this is what the kingdom looks like. Um, when we confess our sins, why? Because we recognize we're about to enter into God's world. And we want to cleanse ourselves and we want him to cleanse us. When we pray Psalms, why? Because we're off this, we're offering ourselves to him. This is why we do these things. All these things are about basking in the light of God's presence and preparing ourselves to eat the meal of heaven on earth. A foretaste, by the way, of what will come. The marriage supper of the lamb will be far greater. But we every week anticipate that meal, which Christ said to his disciples, I'm not going to partake of this again until I do so with you in my Father's kingdom. So how do we see the face of God today? The panim. It's his presence. We are basking in his presence and his love. We are beholding his presence and his love. So behold God's love for you. A reminder and something we enter into.